Welcome in to another edition of the Future Sox Roundup. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, and I'm back with Elijah Evans. I really appreciate Elijah taking over for me with James Fox on the latest episode of the Future Sox podcast. We're back in business because there's news in the White Sox realm. Now, you may not think about it because I understand if you're a White Sox fan and totally trying to keep them away from uh, your day-to-day intake of content, but believe me, now's the time to start getting interested because the White Sox are about to change, and they're making changes. We discussed previously about the decisions regarding tendering contracts to players such as Mike Clevenger, Tim Anderson, Liam Hendricks. They're free agents at this point, and it's really fascinating to see what the next step is for the Chicago White Sox. That being said, the White Sox added players to the 40-man ahead of the Rule 5 draft, which is interesting because we have to get into this. There are players that they also left out, so we'll discuss who they added, who they could have added but decided to leave out. We want to talk about Tim Anderson and Colson Montgomery, some correlation there, because Elijah and I had a conversation when the move went down to decline Tim Anderson's option, and I want Elijah to provide his opinion on how it may impact the White Sox' opinion of the way that they progressed Colson Montgomery throughout the farm system uh, into the big leagues, which we expect him to debut at some point in 2024. That's down the line. We also want to talk about the Arizona Fall League. That's finished. I encourage you to check out Trending on the Farm. Sleepy Harold's been putting them out weekly, recapping every single week's worth of uh, experiences from the White Sox prospects. There's a lot of information. We'll talk about it as well as some Dylan C's future. Elijah has thoughts on that as well. What's going to happen with a right-handed starter? He's their best option right now to trade. And there's some packages that I think Elijah wants to tease for us as Sox fans, just to entertain as we uh, really are in the middle of hot stove season. Stuff's happening with Shohei Otani, all rumors swirling. And the White Sox are kind of just sitting back saying, what are we going to do? Well, let's discuss. First and foremost, Elijah, welcome in. Thanks for talking to James for me. What was that conversation like? Did you enjoy it? That was fun. That was great for me. Um, you know, I, I talked to James online via texting and Twitter and such a, a decent amount, right? But I, I haven't had much time to record with James. So I actually had a lot of fun and it worked out and we got to really just dive into all of our off season and everything else, White Sox thoughts. Um, so yeah, we had a good time um, and it was it was fun. And I'm excited to get back to our conversations today because we've, we've got a full plate of stuff to talk about. Marcus Timms was added, and I wasn't able to comment on that. Look forward to the next Future Sox podcast with myself and James Fox. I have some thoughts as well as this coaching staff is getting a shakeup a little bit as well. Chris Getz led White Sox, decided to add Jake Eater and Christian Mena to the 40-man roster, protecting them from Rule 5 eligibility, although Matthew Thompson and Wilfred Varis were left off. They were... Uh, up for the Rule 5 draft. Now, you know, they weren't protected, so teams have the opportunity to decide to pluck them from the White Sox. Here's the caveat, though. Major League organizations, if they decide to pick up, these are two specific examples because we believe these are the most Major League-ready prospects who are left off the 40-man roster and up for the Rule 5, they must keep them on their 26-man, not their 40-man, the active roster for the entire season. If they decide to waive them or cut them, Whatever they want to do, if they're not on the 26-man all year, they are returned back to the Chicago White Sox. We want to dive into these decisions. Jake Eater, participant in the Arizona Fall League, 25 years old, left-handed starter, acquired from the Miami Marlins. He was added. That was pretty much a no-brainer. Christian Mena, approaching his age 21 season, uh, pitching in Birmingham, finished the season in AAA Charlotte. 
that was also something that we expected because it's too much of a risk to leave him off the 40 man at this point and leave him eligible for the rule five draft. Mana is close. However, the decisions to leave off Matthew Thompson and Wilfred Veras, Elijah, what were your reactions there? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I think Mana and, and Eater were pretty obvious. I think it would have been fairly shocking if either of them was left off, either because of his age and his proximity, pitching in the Arizona Fall League. Mana, because, you know, he was great last year in flashes and finished in AAA, so he's pretty close to being big league ready, right? Um, the other two are interesting to me. I think with Thompson, it's a hard case because he's a guy who the team had a lot of hope for and the organization had been expecting for years for this pretty high draft pick, right? Some solid pedigree coming in out of high school. Um, a guy that kind of was expected to be one of those next pieces for a while, and it just hasn't quite clicked for him. Um, it's unfortunate. I, I kind of expected it almost. I, I, I think a lot of people thought he would get protected. A big part of me kind of assumed he wasn't gonna just because he doesn't really look like a starting pitcher at this point um, through his development I'm curious to see where things take him in the next year or two I think there's a chance someone takes him as a reliever um, I, I honestly think the White Sox should be slowly transitioning him into like a Swiss Army relief role I think that's where his stuff would play up the best and it would minimize his command issues so I'm curious to see if a team takes a chance on him in a relief role and then ends up returning him if he doesn't click in a month or two of being a reliever with the big league team. Um, so it'd be interesting to see with him. I, I still think he remains with the team most likely. He didn't quite show enough consistency or you know development last season to really warrant somebody taking him in the Rule 5 draft. The one that I'm really frustrated about is Wilfred Veris. Um, he's young, right? He just turned 21 years old yesterday, actually. I just saw that. Um, so this is a guy who's incredibly young. He just finished his age 20 season. But considering the state of the White Sox organization, I think it is just not a really good practice to leave off a guy who just put up an 879 OPS in 38 games in Birmingham, one of the harder minor league leagues to hit in. And this guy is, I mean, he, he's been consistently productive in the last three seasons since he started with, came over to the States in 2021, dominated rookie ball, was really solid between low A and high A. Or, and even going up to Birmingham in 2022 for a little bit, right? The Project Birmingham stuff. But then last year, you know, he he was good when he was at Winston-Salem and then took it to a whole nother level in Birmingham as one of the best hitters in a really talented lineup down the stretch for Birmingham. So this is a guy who the approach and the defense will probably prevent him from getting taken in the Rule 5 draft. But the offensive upside is so clear that I just wouldn't have even given that. I wouldn't have even risked it at all with him just because I do really believe this guy is probably a top 15 prospect in the system right now. In my eyes, I, I think I had him on my personal rankings mid season at 17. And I think there's an argument to be made. He's top 15. So Averis uh, is a questionable decision to me. Um, I don't know what you, where you're at with the Varus decision, but I, I didn't love leaving him off. So if I'm not mistaken, I believe the White Sox 40 man is at 35. Is that does that sound right, Elijah? I, I believe it's at 37 now because with okay. the Mena and Eater at it was at 35 it. before and then it went to 37, yeah. So there you go. I mean, 37 spots, you add Varus, 38, and you're putting yourself What's the into, difference? You're, you're putting yourself in a tough spot because you look to add this offseason and those roster spots are valuable to the White Sox because you're valuing your internal options and you don't want to obviously burn a player to send them off the 40-man in order to clear a spot for a potential free agent and the White Sox want to maintain as much flexibility as possible. And when it comes to Wilfred Veras, I think you mentioned a lot of good points. The upside offensively is obviously there. And I think there are a very limited amount of teams 
who would be willing to take on a player with a lot of question marks that honestly haven't been answered enough to justify putting them on an active major league roster. Now, that's not saying that a major league team wouldn't be able to do it because I think there are uh, there are some who don't plan on contending in 2024 who could have room for a player with Rufus but I don't know if his defense, like a, uh, his defensive position is defined yet. And also there are question marks regarding where his development is overall. Now I'm not disagreeing with you. I think Wilfred Veras is, is a, a underrated talent that a lot of White Sox evaluators are sort of sleeping on. I just think it's not, he's not there yet. And the White Sox are willing to take yeah. the risk. Yeah, I agree with you. But the other thing you have to consider is there. there's so many. I, I think you, you hinted at this, but there's so many players on the 40-man that have no business being on the 40-man. Um, and that's nothing against them, but there's a lot of organizational depth players that have very minimal impact on the future of the team, like Wilfred Veras could potentially have. Yes, he's not there yet, but there, there's other teams out there too that have full 40-man rosters, and they're going to sign plenty of free agents and just get rid of the cut guys off the 40-man at some point throughout the offseason, right? So... It's just, in my opinion, it's just another example of a little bit of a delay in the way that the White Sox run their roster and manage it in comparison to some other teams around the league. Because I, I don't think you should be taking a 40-man spot away from a 21-year-old that has shown what he's shown in favor of a handful of AAA 25-year-old relievers and pitchers and, and you know, replacement level guys who who might come up to the big league team at some point this year but also aren't necessarily factored into the future so i don't think a team takes varus i'll, I'll be clear with that I, I it's you're right he's the defense i think he's probably a right fielder i think he looked solid out there when i saw him in birmingham comparatively to how he had been defensively in the past um but honestly i just I, I'm just in favor of keeping the guys that could be legitimate big league contributors kind of no matter what. So it's going to be fine. I don't think he gets taken, but I just wouldn't have risked it personally. Well, I think the question is how do the White Sox uh, evaluate his timeline? How close is he to the big leagues? Do they anticipate Wilfred Veras debuting in 2024? Because if you say that he's a guarantee, then you absolutely have to protect him. I think they are still allowing that True. development to take place. And also, I, I want to stress this, the White Sox need to field a 26-man roster that's representative to what Chris Getz and the rest of the coaching staff uh, wants to envision the future of the White Sox to be. And in doing so, not only do they have to fill out the starting rotation, but they want to filter out some of these position players who can't perform professionally, right? And there's going to be some turnover throughout the season which I think you and I can both agree that late in the year, we will see these players who we've been covering for three, four years now debut at the big league level. It's just these roster spots at this point of the off season, when free agency is hitting and there's opportunities to acquire via trade that the White Sox want to offer as much flexibility in their 40 man spots as possible. Now I'm not going to discredit those who are on the 40 man who could be on the bubble to get cut and replaced. Um, they feel like they can pass through waivers if they're cut off the 40 man roster. Look, cause the white Sox just overall aren't competitive and how attractive are some of the players that they believe that they can pass through waivers to other ball clubs. Right. I, I think that's what they want to allow themselves is that flexibility to fill this roster out and make decisions as they have a more defined 40 man. And when I say 40 man, I also extend it to about the next 20. So you can say 40 man plus extended to 60. Now, obviously 
we're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves with the amount of talent that the White Sox have who are major league ready or close to major league ready, but that's where they are heading into 2024. They need to define who they are as an organization, and it's going to take some fillers in free agency and in, within trade acquisitions to get there because this ain't it, and Chris Getz knows it, and he's looking to kind of transform how they play on a day-to-day basis. I want to go back to what you said about Matt Thompson because it's important. Thompson was drafted as a starter. He's been starting throughout the White Sox organization in the minors since he's been, you know, since he's entered the organization in 2019. Last season in 2023, through 124 and a third innings in Double A Birmingham, you said it. The command was totally inconsistent. He, he had a sub five ERA. I'm looking at Baseball Reference 485 ERA at this point. His WHIP 1568. Not exactly what you're looking for. A 9.8 strikeout um, strikeouts per nine, but a 6.2 walks per nine. That can't happen. And I think that's, like you said. If a team decided to poach Thompson as a reliever intent behind the decision, right, the, the decision to pick him up and use him as a reliever exclusively, I understand it. he's never done it before. He's changing organizations. This is, I think, another tactical risk that the White Sox are making at this point to leave Thompson off. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It is. That's tactical risk is a great way to describe it. Uh, I don't think he'll get taken, but that is something that came to my mind when I saw it because he has an excellent curveball. That's always been his calling card. He's developed a pretty solid slider at times. So that's a guy who, you know, you plug in a, in a six, seventh inning role or even a long relief role where he can throw two, three innings out of the pen. You can play up that curveball even more. You can increase the tendency to throw it and you can kind of see what you have there. So I think whether he gets picked or the White Sox keep him, I think that really should be in play right now. Um, it's nothing against him. I know guys want to start, and I know that's the ultimate goal for most pitchers that get drafted. But I do think his stuff and you know his struggles with his command lately would probably play up out of the bullpen and potentially make him an even more effective pitcher. And sometimes that's just how you have to approach pitchers when things don't quite click as a starter. An adjustment to relieving can help a lot of guys carve out a big league career. So I, I think that's something to consider with whether he somehow gets picked or he remains with the White Sox. Let's talk about Tim Anderson and how it relates to Colson Montgomery. Initially, my my reaction was they bought him out for a million dollars instead of picking up a $14 million option. Now, this player, he's not the same guy as what we saw as the batting champ. However, the reason why Pedro Grafol batted him at the top of the lineup throughout the year is because of his pedigree. And Elijah, I agree with you 100%. There is opportunity for Tim Anderson to rebound and be the player that we're used to seeing him be because the talent just doesn't disappear. I think he was in a really bad headspace over the last two seasons. And defensively, unfortunately, we've seen regression in a negative light at the shortstop position. He said he was open to play second base. I don't know if the White Sox are entertaining that option to bring him back and have him play second. I thought it was a smart decision who will open up $14 million worth of payroll, just given all that's gone down. Now you can react to that decision as, or, you know, my opinion on that decision as well, but I want to bring this up because you had a tweet that generated a lot of traction and your <laughs> immediate thought went to Colson Montgomery. And I don't blame you whatsoever because that's the next step. Everybody knows it. Colson Montgomery is projected to be the future shortstop or in some capacity, a regular player on the infield for the Chicago White Sox moving forward. And you wondered if the decision to move on from Tim Anderson 
is dangerous for Colson Montgomery's development because the White Sox may push him a little too early to get to the big leagues. Did I phrase that correctly? And how, how would you kind of assess that decision? Yeah, it's tricky. I think my opinion on it has eased back a little bit in the last few weeks. Um, I got a lot of backlash on that tweet, which is fair. Everybody's got their own takes. And I think a lot of people were ready to just see the Tim Anderson era be over. But my mindset around it is the first part of it, like you said, is Tim Anderson could bounce back. So you're losing potential value that you could have got from trading him either this past deadline or this coming deadline that you're just giving up for nothing. So that's the first part of it that frustrates me because I think the White Sox are in a state where you kind of have to try and get value where you can by via, you know, buying low on free agents or keeping players that aren't at the highest of the value than moving them when their value goes up a little. But that part you said about Colson is interesting because my initial thoughts were, you know, not having Tim Anderson there and whether they go with with a, a veteran shortstop or just, you know, you let Jose Rodriguez go there or you bring back Elvis Andres or whatever it is, whoever is there doesn't have the experience as the White Sox shortstop that Tim Anderson has, right? So the difference there is that, in my opinion, it puts this team in a situation where they're going to be a little quicker, just a little bit, and even that little bit is risky to me. They're a little bit quicker to say, you know what? Sure, Colson Montgomery time. And I am as excited as anybody to see Colson Montgomery play. I love the way he plays. I think he has a ton of potential to be the shortstop for the White Sox for a decade plus. I don't want the team to rush him. This this year in 2024 is not a team that's winning. No matter what Chris Getz does, unless the White Sox sign Shohei Otani and a bunch of other guys, right? This team is not going to be very competitive this year. There's a chance they're, I hope they're going to be better than last year. I hope it's on a hundred loss team, right? I think everybody hopes that. And I hope there's, there's signs of development and we see some of the young guys continue to grow. This year is not the year to fully compete and to, to try and win a world series. I, I know that's always the goal, right? But that's not where this team is at right now. It's gotta be a year for growth and a year to prepare for the next wave of competition. The last thing I want to see is Colson Montgomery being rushed to the big leagues in any way, shape or form. And my initial thought is that getting rid of Tim Anderson and having, you know, a filler per se at shortstop, as opposed to the guy that's been there for six years, creates an easier opportunity to bring Colson up before he's probably ready. I am excited to watch him. I think he showed some things in Arizona and this year that are really exciting. I don't think he's big league ready yet. I think there's some things he needs to work on still. And there's some things he needs to keep growing with. He hasn't had a single at bat in triple a, he didn't have as many bats as they, as bats as they wanted him to in Birmingham this year. Right. So I just want, my ultimate thought is I'm fine with moving on Tim Anderson, moving on from Tim Anderson. Right. But I just want the team to be patient and take their time with the development of Colson Montgomery, because we want him to be able to become everything we think he can be. Those are totally fair concerns. And I'm with you hundred percent. I have two thoughts. One, I want to start with Montgomery season, the late start. It was disappointing. Of course we saw success, but the experience in the Arizona fall league, was paramount in his development. I think it it allowed the White Sox that safety cushion to really evaluate and how he could respond to the higher level of competition. Now, I'm not going to say he got exposed, but he definitely experienced failure when he was playing high level competition. And it is, it's not necessarily a reality check for me because I think it was a given that 
you know, as you move up through the minor league ranks and you play high level competition, you're going to experience failure. So I think it was a wonderful chance for Montgomery to get the extra at bats and continue his development. The second thing is within the decision to either maintain Tim Anderson on the roster or decide what they did and cut him. There's two risks here and the White Sox had to weigh each of them. The first risk would be pick up Tim Anderson's $14 million option, keep him on the active roster. And what it does is if the, if the goal was to pick up the 14 million and to ultimately hope to trade him, you're running the risk of if he doesn't perform how you hoped he would or will, then you're stuck with the 14 million. You're not going to get any takers or you're going to sell very low on a player that you had, you know, invested in and who has that pedigree as well as if you're adding him to the active roster. Now I know these players may not jump off the page at you, but this means that Tim Anderson is going to play every day, which means Jose Rodriguez, Lenin Sosa, ultimately Colson Montgomery, Zach Remillard. I'm not, look, I'm not saying Zach Remillard is worth playing over Tim Anderson. I'm just saying in a year in which you're trying to evaluate what you want to be, you're taking a spot away from potential. Now, these all, all those players may not turn out to be regular contributors who succeed at the major league level, but we don't know that yet. And the White Sox are running the risk of stunting those developments because they don't have an opportunity to play them as much as they would like because Tim Anderson's on the roster. Also, it's $14 million worth of payroll. Now, the other risk, which they decided to take, was to allow Tim Anderson to explore other options and, like you were saying, miss out on an opportunity to pick up more value by dealing him. And I think the White Sox you know, went with the latter because they felt the risk of allowing him to explore other opportunities would let them evaluate and develop their own internal options. It frees up a roster spot, filler. I don't like where the White Sox are as a major league organization right now, obviously. But in the steps to get better, I, I think this was a necessary one. And it sucks because Tim Anderson's been a staple, former batting champ, all of it. Also, I think it does him a lot of good to get out of the White Sox clubhouse. Change of scenery could revitalize his career. And if he does, then that's just a win for him. So I don't mind the decision whatsoever. I think it's the right decision, in my opinion. It sucks to lose him. But just based on the trajectory, especially over the last year, it was really tough, man. Uh, a sub-600 OPS is just not going to play, plus a subpar defensive effort at a premium position. You just can't have it on a team that's trying to establish some sort of culture where they're playing good baseball day in and day out. Now, Elijah, you can respond if you'd like. I do want to move on to the Arizona Fall League uh, finish because I know you've been following it thoroughly throughout the year. You've been making appearances on other podcasts as well as Socks in the Basement. Talk to Chris Lanuni, our guy. We're sponsored by it. We are hosted by Socks in the Basement. Make sure you're subscribed to our podcast and sign up to Patreon as well. There was a lot to take from the AFL. I keep going back to Jacob Burke's performance. And I was also very encouraged overall by the amount of at-bats Colson Montgomery took, as well as Brian Ramos. Um, Frazier Ellard was another nice little surprise story for us. Flying under the radar, an older left-handed relief prospect. They, the White Sox needed to see what he is, essentially, what they, what they have in this player uh, up against 
talent that he may see as early as next year in terms of high level competition. So overall thoughts on the TA stuff. If you have any follow up there, Elijah, as well as your opinion on the way that the White Sox prospects finish in the AFL. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll leave the TA stuff where it is. I think you did a great job. I think there was a lot of pros and cons. Ultimately, the $14 million saved is probably a good thing. I would like it more if I thought it was going to end up being spent in a good place because I don't think it will be, um, but it's all right. I, it's sad to see him go. I think he's going to bounce back with another team, and that is perfectly okay, and I will continue to be a TA supporter um, until he stops playing baseball, honestly. Um, AFL, let's switch gears. Frazier Ellard, I'm glad you mentioned it. I was That was the first thing I was going to say uh, because there was some players that we wanted to see a little more from that we didn't quite see. I think I'll get to the hitters in a sec, but the relief pitchers, man, I, I we the Sox don't have a bullpen right now aside from Gregory Santos, Aaron Bummer, and Crochet, I would say. I think those are the only three solidified relievers. Um, and Jordan Leisure, uh, who was acquired from the Dodgers, I, I talked to them a few weeks ago. Just definitely check out that interview. Really nice guy. Um, he dominated, and so did Frazier Ellard. The, the duo of them were probably the two best relievers, arguably, for, for the Glendale Desert Dogs throughout the entire AFL. They were both just phenomenal, um, and I, I'm really excited to see where it takes them. I think Leisure is all is pretty much a lock at this point to break with the big league team. I'd be almost shocked if he didn't. He looked good down the stretch for a lot of spurts in Charlotte. Uh, one run allowed on two hits total allowed uh, in, over across eight appearances in the AFL. This guy threw eight in the third innings and allowed two hits with 13 strikeouts, only two walks as well. So he was just straight up dominant, a whip under a whip of point. Four eight in the AFL against you know some of the better prospects in baseball, right? That's just not something that just happens for any old pitcher, right? Like there was a lot of pitchers who performed well in the AFL. There was not a single pitcher in the AFL, I don't think, who only allowed two hits uh, like Jordan Leisure did. And then Frazier Ellard is was also great. Nine innings pitched, only two runs allowed, fourteen strikeouts across those nine innings with a one whip. So these are two bullpen arms that I, I think we'll see leisure right off the bat. And I think if Ellard is healthy and continues to carve his, you know, work on his command, that was kind of an issue for him in the past. If his command continues to be where it's at right now, I think both those guys are going to be in the White Sox bullpen by, by late to mid season. So that was an exciting development. I know that relief pitchers may not always be the most exciting thing, but we've seen many times as White Sox fans that a bullpen can really cost you a game. Um, and these are two guys that I expect to be, legitimate contributors uh, sooner than later leisure, probably right off the bat. Um, so those were kind of my, my biggest takeaways pitching side. I think Jake eater, it was just great to get him almost 20 innings of work. It wasn't pretty, uh, you know, 15 walks across 17 and two thirds innings is still a concern. I think he's still trying to figure out what his command looks like at the big league at the, you know, the next level of pitching. And I think his body's still getting back to his form, but again, he, he missed a lot of time this year, getting him almost 20 innings of work in the Arizona fall league and continuing to have him kind of work on his craft every single day for another extended month and a half, right. Was big. I think that was, that was good to see. And I think regardless of the performance, I know, there's a lot of Sox fans out there that have kind of given up on Jake Eater. I, I think that's ridiculous, honestly. Um, this is a guy who was one of the best pitchers in the entire minor leagues two years ago. I I get it. He's older, and he didn't look good for the majority of this year, but the stuff is there. He had some really nice strikeouts, some big moments uh, of looking solid at times throughout the AFL, even though it wasn't great altogether. So I, I think for him, just getting those innings is huge. 
And then on the offensive side, like you said, uh, Colson experienced some ups and downs. I think he was really trying to establish his his hitting presence more than his approach that he's been so good at in the past. So he kind of sacrificed a little bit of that approach to just get more swings under his belt against some better pitchers. So I think for him, it was just a time to keep learning and keep working. Um, he does need to refine a few things still with his swing and with kind of his timing, I think at times. Um, but I, I do think there's a lot of good stuff coming for him, whether he starts, he'll, I think he'll start in Birmingham. There's a chance they push him to Charlotte, but I think he'll start in Birmingham and then make his way to Charlotte. Um, there, there's things to work on and to build on for him. And then, like you said, Jacob Burke is, is a guy who kind of burst onto the scene this year and was phenomenal. So Burke's someone who I think will continue to keep an eye on, who just really was one of the biggest breakouts in the whole system this season uh, continued to look good in the AFL. He is, his approach needs a little bit of work. The strikeout rate was a lot higher in the AFL than it was during the regular season, but he stole five bases. He played spectacular defense in center field, three home runs, just consistent quality at bats from Burke. So that's another development. That's, that's great to see. Just want to also shout out Colson Montgomery, fall stars game MVP, the first in White Sox history. Right. So it's pretty cool. Uh, also Yossi Marcuzine, he threw, We'll, we'll say that he competed. Uh, the numbers don't look great, but the White Sox got a nice little valuation of Cuisine, who obviously in advanced age picked up out of Cuba as an international signing late, uh, got a late start to the 2023 season and added innings to his belt. And 2024 is going to be an important evaluation season for him as well. The White Sox may be inclined to add him to the 40 man at some point and give him a shot at the big league level, but he's got to prove it a little bit more. He's got to build more consistency uh, inning per inning, right, when he's out there competing. Um, and Addison Coffey, it was a struggle for him. This was somebody who was drafted severely under slot in 2020, and he made it all the way to this point. So we just got to give him a shout-out as well. Dylan Cease, Elijah. Now, this is something that you and I went back and forth on on the podcast midseason because – there were some rumblings whether or not the White Sox would decide to trade him with two and a half years left to control. You can get a haul for a player like that, obviously, with his stature. Um, my argument was, man, the White Sox still need to fill out the roster somehow. We're heading into the offseason. The White Sox have two years of control left on Dylan Cease's contract. Are the White Sox going to shop him? And if they do, what are some of the returns you believe that they can get? Yeah, I... Uh... I was already kind of pro moving him at the deadline, I think, marginally compared to you and we had had conversations about this, just because I think you have to take advantage of that contract for a guy who I just don't see re-signing with the White Sox, kind of no matter what happens. Um, I, I think the time is now. I think you have to. Now being this offseason, not now being now, let me clarify that, because I do believe that waiting until the top end pitchers in the starting pitcher market sign is probably the best option for the White Sox. Right now in the starting pitching market, there's a lot of options available, right? But in terms of young, young enough pitchers to get, you know, that six, five, five plus year large deal, there's four guys in Yoshinobu Yamamoto coming from Japan, who's one of the most highly touted Japanese prospects we've seen in many years. Um, and then you've got the trio of Blake Snell, who just won the Cy Young, Aaron Nola, and Jordan Montgomery, who had a phenomenal playoffs, right? So those four are going to sign for a lot of money. I think all of them get near or more than 150 million, at least five plus years for all of them. So I think you have to wait that out because there's a lot of teams that need pitching right now. When you look at the landscape of the league, pitching, starting pitching, especially is the highest demand position in all of baseball right now. And it's not even close. 
So all the contending teams that fell short this past year, and even the ones like the Rangers who are still going to try and re-sign Montgomery, right? Everybody needs pitching right now. Every single contender needs a starter, and a lot of them really need a top-end starter, right? So it's a point where I think you wait for those four, and once the market is established, then you can really get into some of these packages with some teams that have the prospect capital and also have a clear need for pitching. So I don't, a team like Baltimore, right? That's the one that's everybody said since last year. It makes the most sense in the world. They don't spend a ton of money usually in free agency, right? So they probably aren't going to be in play for a Yamamoto or a Snell. I think there's a chance that the Orioles could push for like a Montgomery. Um, but I ultimately don't think any of those four necessarily fit there. And they have the best farm system in baseball by far. I think a package from the Orioles that's centered around, you know, a cease package in my mind right now looks like two high-end prospects and a throw-in piece or two. Um, I think it's from the Orioles, I think either a Jordan Westbrook, who debuted for them this year, middle infielder, probably a second baseman long-term, or a Joey Ortiz. Uh, Joey Ortiz was kind of blocked by their talent hall of just a plethora of infielders they have in Baltimore. Um, I think one of those two, in addition to somebody like either a Heston Kerstead, who's a power-hitting outfielder, maybe outfield right fielder slash first baseman slash DH, which I know positionally that isn't great, but right field, I, he can survive in the outfield. It's not like a guy who just hasn't played outfield. He is a legitimate corner outfielder. Um, so he's a guy who I think could start literally start opening day and be the everyday right fielder immediately for the White Sox, in addition to Westberg or Ortiz, who would both be the best option possible at second base and or shortstop right now um, for the White Sox as well. So I think something along those lines from the Orioles, I think they've also got Colton Kowser's another outfielder that could make sense in that deal. Um, Kobe Mayo is a, a big fan. A lot of people are a fan of Kobe Mayo. He's risen through the system of the Orioles, uh, but I don't think, I don't think the Orioles are going to want to part with him. I think he's probably their favorite of all of those prospects right now. And he's continuing to show more and more improvement. Generally speaking, the Orioles have a ton of talent Two a uh, two of all those guys I mentioned, in addition to a lower level pitcher flyer, probably is, is realistic from the Orioles. If you want to go that route. I think the Dodgers and the Reds are the other two teams that make a lot of sense to me. I posted a few trade packages on Twitter from the, that got a lot of traction from Reds fans. I am friends with a lot of Reds fans. Um, so it was interesting to see what people thought there. I think Chase Petty would be the target for the White Sox. Honestly, I think there's the Reds have a deep system, but Chase Petty is a guy who has had some injury issues, but has legitimate, you know, top end starter potential. Um, and then the Dodgers, you know, the Dodgers have so much talent. They always have talent in their farm system. I think somebody like an Andy Pajes is a guy who could be the right fielder for the White Sox very soon. Michael Bush, who had a small sample size in the big leagues this past year, you know, a power hitting infielder type. So, and then the Dodgers also have tons of starting pitchers. I, I mentioned Kyle Hurt as the one that I would be targeting for the White Sox, but like we've seen from Nick Nestrini, who we're really excited to see the Dodgers just continue to churn out quality starting pitchers. So I think those three teams make the most sense for me what are your thoughts there i would be so thrilled to get a package that included heston kirstead because um i was a huge fan of him coming into the draft when he was drafted and I, that would make sense to me and those are a lot of names it just has to make sense obviously to fill what the white Sox need and when i think about it i'm looking for immediate fills at second or a regular contributor in right field so and plus, anytime you get pitchers, you got to fill up your farm system with arms. And some of those players are going to be able to pitch at the major league level. And the White Sox need more of them. So follow Elijah Evans on Twitter at Elijah EV, the number eight. I'm at Rankin906. We're at Future Sox, all one word, like the White Sox, Future Sox. 
Email us, futuresocks at gmail.com. We have some emails on standby. We're going to read them on a future episode. So we really appreciate all the followers and the supporters of the podcast. We do two a week, the Future Socks podcast with myself and James Fox. And this one right here, the Future Socks Roundup with myself and Elijah Evans. Elijah, really good work. You're always coming prepared. We really appreciate your contributions. Make sure that you're continuing to follow us throughout the offseason because the Future Socks podcast and futuresocks.com has a lot of coverage planned. And if you're curious, James Fox has a couple of articles already posted on the white, uh, on the site, on the futuresocks.com site. If you want to check out what his thoughts were on potential 40-man additions that had already obviously been made, that's there. And he also put out a piece on Thursday talking about the potential implications of the White Sox entering the lottery this year and what it means for them in 2025, considering that the White Sox are likely uh, going to be a, a bottom 10 team in Major League Baseball in 2024. So a lot that we want to talk about throughout the offseason, and we're going to continue to react to what Chris Getz wants to do. We already are seeing changes. We discussed a little bit of it here today. And like we said, when the moves start trickling in, we'll start kind of figuring out the vision of what this franchise is going to behold, because my goodness, whatever's been happening over the last handful of years is just not it. So looking forward to more positivity, right? That's what we like to focus on here at the Future Sox podcast. So for Elijah Evans, my name's Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, make sure you're subscribed. We'll talk to you all next week.